We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome program Caregiver Dave Nisani. Dave, how are you? What's going on, I'm man? Awesome. Hey, just wondering uh, what and another beautiful day in Los Angeles. What can I say? Yes, exactly. And it's a beautiful day everywhere in the world, especially with Facebook being back, Dave. I don't know what I could do without it. I was on Clubhouse. Basically, they were talking the end of the world for over five hours <laughs> in a room of 7.5 thousand people on stage. So it was a pretty crazy day. Wow. This clubhouse had a resurgence thanks to the outings of Facebook, Instagram. But uh, I'm excited to welcome the program from New York's million dollar listing on Bravo, Ryan Sirhant. And Ryan's going to talk about a great honor that has happened to him. Ryan, thanks for stopping by. And it's, again, it's great what you're doing and your philanthropic work. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here with you guys. I'm a big fan. Uh, the honor is ours. All right. We appreciate it. So Ryan, let's talk really, let's talk really quickly. Let's get into this specifically enough. The American Cancer Society selected you to be the 2021 national ambassador for the annual real men wear pink program. Why did you get involved in this? Oh man, a lot of reasons, uh, you know, other than the fact that it's just, it's, it's a good thing to do. Right. We, um, my family and I and our, our business here in New York, uh, you know, try to be as philanthropic and charitable every year as we possibly can be. And, you know, at the beginning of this year, I was trying to think about, hey, what else what else can we do right going into this year? And I read a stat that said that due to the pandemic in 2020, 41 percent of Americans delayed medical care uh, in the last year. Um, because of COVID and, you know, being afraid of going to doctors and hospitals. It's like, oh, that's kind of, that's crazy. 41%. That's, that's a lot of people. And then like the next day I talked to a friend um, who said that she had just found out that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. It's like, are you kidding me? She said, yeah. And I skipped my mammogram the year before uh, due to COVID, right? 2020. And, um, you know, she's kicking herself that had she just gone because she still could have, she just chose not to, um, she had gone last year, even just like in the summer when things were starting to get slightly back to normal, you know, she might've caught it early or had a much better diagnosis. And then I looked at my daughter who's two and a half years old, my first baby. And I looked at my wife and I looked at some research and saw that one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime. And that's an, that's a massive number. And it is the most commonly diagnosed form of cancer globally. And only women have to deal with it, which is not true because men can also get breast cancer, but because it's called breast cancer, men kind of take a step back and say, out of sight, out of mind, bro. Um, and I said, okay, well, there's gotta be something I can do here. And so I'm the national ambassador for the Real Men Wear Pink campaign this year, which means that uh, as a man, I am bringing awareness to breast cancer, breast cancer research. And um, it's an honor, but it's also a privilege. And it's um, something very, very important that I'm working on. Okay. Yeah. Are you the first man to have this honor? And is it a permanent thing? Are you the permanent <laughs> real men wear pink guy? Um, no, I'm not the permanent real men wear pink guy. Um, there's uh, There are others and there's been others every year. 
Um, there's been a handful of just different people who, you know, have used their platforms to bring awareness, uh, which is really what I'm, I'm working on doing too. You know, we have a large social media uh, following and subscriber account across platforms and people predominantly follow me for real estate advice and real estate sales and listings. And that's how people know me. And so I, it's, you know, it's, it's nice for me to be able to take that following and really activate it as much as I can for something that's, that's completely selfless. Absolutely. So what, what are your plans for this, especially talking about this month and everything and what you can, what are you going to do to call call action for our listeners and viewers and especially your fans? Yeah, I, I would say, listen, if, if you are somebody who has experienced breast cancer firsthand, then you don't need me to tell you how serious, scary, and real it is. Um, but if you're not like, you need to understand that if you haven't been affected by breast cancer in some way yet, unfortunately the odds say that you will be. So you can become a part of the solution. Now, um, you can go to Sir which is my last name S as in Sam E R H a N as in Nancy T as in Thomas wears pink, dot com and join my team. Um, that's, that's how it works. We, we set up a, a team and you can join my team and you can donate five bucks, 10 bucks, $25, you know, $10,000, whatever you want to do, just every little bit counts. And I'm working to raise $75,000 for the American cancer society research by the end of October, I'm wearing pink every day to raise awareness. Um, and that, uh, we've already raised just over $50,000 so far this year. Um, uh, this month, actually, as we get towards, you know, as we get into the thick of October. And so I need to raise a little over $25,000, but that shouldn't stop us. You want to raise as much as possible. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you have not personally been touched by anyone with cancer in your family. Um, cancer has been in my family. Yes. Uh, not breast cancer, not yet. Uh, fortunately, but again, the odds say that it's only a matter of time, but a very close friend of mine was diagnosed with breast cancer. I've had a lot of clients who've, you know, been through it and have lost loved ones to breast cancer. And remember men can get breast cancer too. That's right. Um, the, the, the percentage is much, much lower, but men can still get breast cancer. Um, and this is more, you know, again, everyone says cancer sucks, right? Of course it does. Um, uh, but this is a, Uh, a predominant cancer that affects women. And I think that the men around the women who make them stronger should help, right? And should help to push to raise funds for research to eradicate this brutal disease. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about men, I was watching yesterday, Nellie was involved talking about uh, men's men's uh, breast cancer and stuff like that. It's shocking to know that they do because it's still not out there. And so what should men do in the same type of situation to get, when should they decide to get screened and stuff like that? Is that they had any- I think the national average, yeah. I think the national average for men and women is starting at around 40 years old. Um, And if you go to American Cancer Society, just Google it, go to their website. Um, They've got all the information there that's for free. But honestly, the best form of screening for everybody is yourself, you know, in the shower, like, you know, as you're soaping yourself up, don't go so fast. Like if you're a guy, like check your chest out and make sure you don't feel anything. And if you do, like, what's the harm in getting it checked out? You never, ever, ever know, you know, and there's so many countless brutal stories of men and women 
saying that they felt something, but it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like they were in pain. It wasn't like they stopped breathing. It wasn't like, you know, they felt sick in any way. And they thought, oh, maybe it's just like a, a deposit. Who knows? I'm getting older. And before they knew it, it had really metastasized into something much bigger. And had they just gone and gotten this little lump checked out, um, uh, you know, they could have caught it much, much earlier. So like, I, I, you know, that's why that first stat that I mentioned really affected me when I realized that because of the pandemic, 41% of Americans didn't seek their annual medical treatment last year. Like, do not be afraid of going to the doctor if you feel like there might be an issue. What's, what's the worst case scenario, right? It could be really, really bad. What's the best case scenario that the doctor tells you there's no issue and you go home? Okay, great. What, what did you really do? Half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, maybe listen to a podcast on your way there or back. Listen to Neil, like you'll live. Okay. That's the goal, right? To keep yeah. you alive and to keep your friends and family alive. Uh, what, what was your first reaction when you found out that you, you were going to have this honor bestowed upon you? And what was the most shocking statistic? Because there's many of them that you learned from uh, doing all of this. I, I would say, well, for one, I was just really happy. I was super excited um, because I, I know how to market, right? I'm a professional marketer. I'm a salesman all day, every day, you know, and instead of giving, uh, you know, the national ambassadorship to just another celebrity who's going to, who knows what they'll do with it. Um, you know, I, I, we, we really know how to use our platform because it's how we sell real estate. You know, I sell, I sold an $11 million apartment two days ago through Instagram in an hour. So we know how to raise money and we know how to sell things um, uh, and using the platforms that we have now. But I think the stat, you know, uh, that really kind of really got my attention the most, and I don't even think it's a stat. There is this um, uh, amazing woman that I met who is a breast cancer survivor who works at American Cancer Society. Uh, and she came to our office um, and she said that she, uh, she noticed her first lump when she was 13 years old. Oh my. Um, but wasn't officially diagnosed until she was 30 years old, um, which is still incredibly young. But when she said that 13, I immediately thought like, okay, that's, that's my baby daughter in 10 years. Sure. Um, that's insane. Like that's crazy. And that's a really, really scary thought. And it just kind of immediately like lit every fire underneath me. Um, really, really, really hot. And I wanted to just push as, as much as I could. Wow. Instagram yesterday, I bet you uh, did not meet your sales quota <laughs> with it down. Yeah, no, we did. We still did. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but yes, Instagram, Facebook, everything was, everything was down totally insane. But I bet the guys that started TikTok were like jumping up and down for joy, huh? Like they <laughs> were totally fine. And, and as I talked about the jump on clubhouse first and other people, people going other places, but I think that everyone had that withdrawal for five hours and they all jumped back on. And I had that withdrawal checking my Facebook every hour and Instagram. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, it's not on what's happening. So for you <laughs> that lives on, that's an important platform and other real estate people and real estate brokers out there need to learn from Ryan because he's the beast. If you can sell $11 million of uh, uh, property off of Instagram in one hour, that's a good uh, RT, I mean, rate of return for yeah, using the time in Instagram. All right. So Dave has a caregiving question and maybe he can point that towards more even in a, the way that he is really caregiving. Go ahead, Dave. You know, I'm just an entrepreneur who owned six gas stations, a bunch of rental properties when, 25 years into my marriage uh, to my beautiful wife, she had this headache for three days, 
turned into a stroke. She lost her speech, became paralyzed one side. And for the next couple of years, you know, it was pretty rough. The grief process almost broke up, but we hung in there. And I, like you, saw an opportunity to become Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. Now I help sure. other caregivers stay alive. I found out a shocking statistic. 30% of them die before their loved ones do. Uh, my was- philosophy is if you're not a caregiver now, just wait. You're either going to become one or you're going to need one. Sure. How has caregiving touched your life? Or do you fear that caregiving will eventually, you know, maybe your parents or your grandparents uh, are in that age bracket? Yeah, you know, I, um, that, that's tough. For, so for one, I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. That is, it's really, really, really hard. Uh, and that is a crazy stat that 30% of caregivers actually pass before the person um, that they're caring after. That, that's nuts. That just kind of shows you what the, um, what the work of being a caregiver and like the, the stress on the heart will do to somebody. Um, uh, but I think everybody needs an outpost, right? Everyone needs that outlet and, um, a, a group to, to count on. And so I really commend you for, for what you're doing. I fortunately to this day have not had to be a caregiver for somebody. Um, you know, my grandmother is currently in a, uh, you know, in a, in a nursing home in Wisconsin, but she's surrounded by great people and seems to have a better time there every day than she did when she was living at home. You know, she's like back, it's like back in school. She's got a a good one. Yeah. She recently, um, she's 95 now. Oh God bless. Uh, uh, a guy who she dated before he went off to world war. I think it was world war. No, I don't remember. (laughs) Um, before he went off to war anyway, um, I think it was Vietnam. He, uh, 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 they dated and then she never saw him ever again. After that, wow. he went to Vietnam. They remet and rekindled oh, wow. when he came to this nursing home in Wisconsin at like 92 years old. Wow. Because and, of Facebook? <laughs> no, just because like they were, you know, both from Wisconsin, they went their own separate wow. ways and now they're back and they recognized each other and, you know, catching up on life. Wow. <laughs> sounds like a great 60. movie. It's like, so what have you been up to? Walk me through the last 60 years. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's a great story. But you are a caregiver if you are in touch with her. So remember, caregiving doesn't have to be just physical. Yeah. It could be that yes. that FaceTime call. That could be that phone call, picking up yeah. and calling a loved one. That's caregiving as well. So Brian, support is, support you're, is you're, so you're, the, you're the best caregiver when it's caring for people, especially with Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So where can we find information, Ryan? Best place right now to get involved. Go. Where can we go? Sirhantwearspink.com. Sirhantwearspink.com. Uh, and there's links in there to get to American Cancer Society if you want to learn anything else about uh, about the organization and how much money they raise to be able to fund breast cancer research. But go to sirhantwearspink.com. Join my team. Do it with me. Help me. Work with me. And let's raise as much money as we can to kick breast cancer's ass. All right. We appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for stopping by. That was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Take care, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Caregiver Dave and Sandy. Dave, are you still tired from London? I saw all the pictures, everything. It was pretty wild. Yeah, a little jet lag. It takes a while to get rid of it. But uh, spoke at the London Stock Exchange with Nigel Farage, my new hero the, of Brexit fame. And it was great. Uh, I, it was a whirlwind trip back in three days, which I don't recommend you do. We were supposed to spend several weeks there with my wife, but she just didn't want to go because of COVID. 
So you're you're in and out and back, and now you're ready to roll. And yeah, three COVID tests. I'm negative all the way. See, I am getting into this. It's, it's I guess Dave, we're going into themes of horror films, right? This must be horror season. We're getting in October. Are you? And Dave is Dave is skittish about horror films, but this one here will make you think. I viewed the whole film and I loved it. And introduce our guest, Dave. It's just that I get nightmares after I watch it, so I you know. Anyway, our guest today, um, my phone just went blank. I'm sorry. My guest today, Pat, Matt Patterson. Sorry about that. Matt Patterson, director of Apartment 13. And uh, it's a horror flick, if you haven't figured that out already. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, just to clarify, it's Apartment 413. I think it came back in the thing. In the oh, typo. Back. Sorry about that. That's right. It was Apartment 413. I'm never going to get an Apartment 413. I'm never going to be in a hotel in 413. Anything based <laughs> on this. So let's just jump back to kind of your career for a second. Did you always want to be a director? Is that something you wanted to do? Yeah, I, w- I actually was just mentioning this uh, to somebody yesterday. I, I used to make you know, I'm going to date myself, but uh, the height of popularity was if you knew somebody or were the person that had a VHS camcorder in middle school and high school. Uh, so I had a friend that Danny who had a VHS camcorder while well, his dad did. So of course, Danny became everybody's best friend. And we would make all these short films. They were horrible editing from VCR to VCR. And uh, when we started getting towards college time, uh, getting into colleges, I started realizing, oh, I'm in theater. I'm really enjoying like working with other actors and what the director is doing. I had no concept that real people make movies. Does that make sense? Like, right. you know, you grew up watching me, like you just, they're a thing. Yeah. And, uh, and I asked my friends, I was like, Hey guys, like, who do you think is like directing all this? They looked at me like I was stupid. <laughs> like, well, you're, you're the one bossing us around. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that was kind of like what made me click. And, uh, and so then I went to undergrad at Pepperdine, got my theater directing degree, and then I went to the LA Film School and, and majored in film directing and uh, sound design, actually. And uh, and then I actually started as an AC in 35 millimeter shoots, uh, commercials, music videos, films, and uh, worked my way up after moving to Austin with my wife, a uh, much smaller town, much more affordable housing. <laughs> Compared to LA, but it might not be for yeah. It's not going to well, happen. No, not anymore. It was in 2004. Now yeah, it's not, not anymore. Austin is becoming <laughs> a booming, booming city from what I'm hearing. All right, Dave. So, so Matt, I want to ask you a question and it's a little philosophical, but um, what is it about thriller films that, that, that sell? I mean, you know, I, I told you before this show that uh, I get nightmares when I watch a thriller film. So I try not to watch them, but boy, everybody watches them. My kids watch them. And what, do they just like to be scared out of their wit? And many of them will have nightmares that night. Uh, what, what's the psychology behind that? I don't get it. I, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, but for myself, I have memories of, we rented a house when I was in third or fourth grade that had HBO. And we never had that, you know, my, so we, I remember sneaking down in the middle of the night and probably some slumber party massacre for, or something like that. But I just remember being like feeling like I was doing something wrong and there was something fun about it and also being scared, but realizing I was okay, that it wasn't real, that kind of separation, I, I, it just kind of hooked me. And it's not my favorite genre in the world. I, I like everything, uh, but there's something about horror. Now for me though, it's smart horror. I don't like the, uh, I, I, you know, more power to other people, but the, the gore fests are not my thing. I prefer more cerebral things that are going to scare you because you have to think about it and it kind of deep seeds in your head 
So where does Chainsaw Massacre fit into that? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that would definitely be the very 80s uh, naked girls with murder <laughs> happening. <laughs> so, so were you, did you go back and like some of the 80s stuff of horror films yourself? Are you that kind of fan of that genre? Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah, you. What do you think? I, I love 80s. I mean, uh, Freddy, Nightmare, you, you know, Mike, Mike, Michael Myers. I mean, Jason. It was the best time. Why is horror films not like that? I don't know. My, my all-time favorite is actually The Thing. Uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which is like a, a psychological thriller pretending to be a horror movie that's actually an Agatha Christie mystery. Um, so that that's like the pinnacle for me. But yeah, Freddy Krueger is like who, I think it taps into some base fear of like, we're all, we all get too tired. We can't stay awake. So what happens when we can't control our, our world around us? Yeah. So how has horror films changed over the years? How has it developed? And is it going in a good direction as far as you're concerned? Wow, you're asking really good questions. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's fractured into so many subgenres where you used to say like, oh, we had slasher or like horror thriller. And, and now there's like, you know, gore, slasher, horror thriller, you know, heist movies. There's like all these, all these like uh, genres, which in some ways as a consumer, it's great because you can really dial into the parts that you like. And you're like, oh, I'm not, I don't like these, but I like these over here. Uh, but I think that in, in some other ways, it's uh, because there's so many options, I think it, it allows more of a chance to just throw something against the wall instead of putting as much thought into it. Yeah. So you like the direction it's going? I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so Matt, have you directed other things but horror or you've been in other genres too in directing? Yeah, no, I've, I've done several shorts. I produced four features that I uh, uh, co-wrote two of those. One's a dramedy about a family on vacation. Another one's a sci-tech thriller about China takes over the U.S. when everything with a computer chip gets turned off. And then I also produced a raunchy teen comedy. So I, I'm a lover of all, all genres. If it's a good story, that's what I like. Okay, so how did you get hooked up with Apartment 413? How did that happen? Yeah, so I had a project that I've been working on for years, um, writing, packaging through a huge agency, and it just fell apart like a lot of times it does. So I had this budget, a small budget sitting here uh, that I, I was able to raise separately, and I just, I just wanted to make something. I figured maybe I'm the problem, so I'll find a script. You know, my background's theater. I don't mind other people's writing. I think it's great. Uh, so I found this script on a website called Inktip, which is a, a private website for writers uh, and producers to find scripts. And uh, I thought it was great. And it was something that we could do quickly. It was small, lo one location, a couple actors, and we could just hit the ground running and, and have fun making it. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask, what, what's a good formula for a horror film? I mean, how long, how many minutes into the film should you go where everything just looks normal and, and you wonder if it's even a thriller? And then finally, you know, the switch goes and, and ah, how, how many minutes does it take for a good successful film uh, for that to happen? Is there a formula? Oh, I, yeah, I'm sure that there, there's lots of formulas. I think that's actually where I, I <clears throat> maybe I'm also just getting older, but I think that the way that it's headed is everything needs to be right up in your face in the first scene and no never let play, up. No foreplay, in other words. Yeah, and I, and I like, you know, 
my favorite author is Stephen King, who takes 300 pages just to introduce you to the characters before anything happens. And uh, I think that I like a slow burn, which Apartment 413, I believe, is. It, Definitely. It, uh, it has like a one act or one scene at the very beginning, and then it's a slow burn, get to know the characters, yeah. care about them, and then things start to happen. Yeah. And so for me, I think it's that break from the second act into the second act. So 17, 20 minutes in is when you should really now you're investing the characters. So when things start happening, you believe it and you care. And that is, you. so I agree with you in that fact that hits you first with this thing, like, oh my, here we go. Right off the bat, hits you with something and you're questioning two years before. Hmm. And then you go into the characters, you really get to understand the characters and then things go crazy. But I think what it did is it took you in a roller coaster ride to see who really the good character and who really isn't the good character and what's happening without giving it away. Right. Yeah. And that's what I like. I, I don't want to be able to figure out a movie from the beginning. I I'm smart, but I don't want to be that smart. I want to, you know, I want to be challenged and tricked uh, to me. That's part of the fun. And that doesn't, that doesn't matter if it's a comedy, a mystery or a horror film to me. You know, I was watching the, uh, the trailer and there was a, a line in it that said, and they fight back um, without giving away the plot or too much of it. Um, is that a, a different twist in your thriller than most of them where they, they just said, you know, we're going to fight back and whatever it is that's coming at us. Um, you know, I'm, you got me at a loss. I'm not sure where that is. Yeah. In the trailer. So I think it started to fight back where it's like really where it just like goes, goes definitely awry. But let, let's kind of jump into more um, about this is the characters. Let's talk about the characters so Dave can understand a little bit about why this apartment 413, people can really resonate, especially when they're in a room with just another person stuck 24-7 with them or even half the time, especially. Yeah. Thinking That's COVID, too. COVID too definitely brings that out where you're just stuck going lower, yeah. Yeah, so we've got we've got the main character Marco, who is out of work, looking for work. Today, you don't go knocking on doors; you sit at home in your underwear, looking for work on a computer, which is lonely and isolating. And I think, like you said, after spending a year of everybody doing that, uh, it really resonates even more. But he's got to find a job because his girlfriend's pregnant, and they, he needs to get a job before the baby comes. And while he's at home, weird things start happening. Post-it notes from somebody are being left around with really invasive. Uh, cruel things being said. Uh, burner phone starts ringing, leaving him messages uh, that he doesn't know it's who, who it's from, but casting doubt on the fidelity of his his girlfriend. And and then things get weird. Like it, it just escalates from there. And you really start to wonder, is Marco losing his mind? And Dana is so sweet. His his girlfriend, uh, she's a teacher. She, she cares about him. But it's just this struggle of, uh, can you ask for help if you don't even know what you're asking for help for? And we start to fear for her safety even. But we also, I, I hope, and Neil, tell me if this resonated for you, you're, you're so desperate to figure out what's going on with Marco because you kind of like him. Yeah. And you don't want him to be bad. Yes. <laughs> and he really honestly wasn't that maybe. I don't know. It's, again, the ending, just forget <laughs> it. It's like, what happened? So, and that's yeah. the thing, and that makes you think, and then you start thinking about so many different things from the beginning to the end, and you got to figure it out. So, Dave, you have to watch it. Okay, so, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna go real quick. One question that I really think is, 
even though you said it's a lower budget film, this is really well done from beginning oh, to end. It was a, so what's the feedback so far people have seen the film? Uh, it's been great. We, we were able to premiere at CineQuest Film Festival before everything shut down. Uh, then we ran it, finished our festival run at the Austin Film Festival. Um, so we got to have uh, a lot of different audiences' reactions live, which was fantastic. In fact, that opening scene came from feedback from our first screening when we were like, oh, we need something that kind of hits in the beginning. So we went back and reshot that. Oh, really? And, and added that. Yeah, that wasn't in the original uh, uh, version. Um, but reaction has been great. Uh, I think everybody has, um, you know, it's not a Marvel movie. It's not going to have huge explosions and giant budget. And it's, it's, it is an indie film, but I, our actors are fantastic. I think Nicholas Sainz, who plays Marco, he's, really had, he's so good. And finding him was the best thing that ever happened to us because he's got to play a really big range and he's literally in every single scene. So he has, he has to carry that movie. And then Bria Grant, who I love, we've been friends since 2010 with my uh, film An Ordinary Family. When it came out, we met at the LA Film Festival. Um, she was such a treasure. In fact, when I found the script, I sent it to her to ask if I was crazy for liking it. And she told me I'd be crazy if I didn't make it and then cast her to be in it. So uh, hearing you say that you felt like it was really well done and everything else is a, a huge testament to me. It, it makes me feel great, and especially for my cast and crew that work so hard on it. No, I mean, I, I thought it was well done. And the fact is, it just, it's just a different type of horror film. And then it makes you think at the end. And that's where the, the questions come where I'm not going to say here. But people will have to definitely uh, give more feedback. And I'm sure the film festival, that ending kind of had people questioning, right? Yeah, my favorite was grabbing a beer with everybody after the screening and just being peppered with questions. And well, what about this? And what about this? And that, that gets me excited because it means they're engaged and they care enough to see like, how does it connect at the end? So Dave, do you have any of those stories where you're stuck in like a specific hotel room or apartment where it's kind of like really draw and just, uh, you never know what's gonna happen type of thing? Yeah, remember we, we interviewed uh, about that movie in Malibu. Uh, that was a really good one. Yeah. Because it, it set you up pretty, pretty good. I wanted to ask um, how do you, um, how did you find that amazing cast of characters? So like I said, luckily with uh, Bria, we've been friends for a while. So she, I had no choice but to cast her because she had <laughs> told me she'd kill me if she didn't, if I didn't. Um, Nick was a, a bit of a roller coaster to find. I, had, I was working with some casting directors, uh, then my friends from working in other features and other projects around town. And then I actually trolled uh, some agency websites and found him and, and saw his demo tape and I reached out to my agents and they're like, oh yeah, he auditioned, it wasn't good enough. And so I had them send me the tape and I was like, no, wait, he's perfect. So this weird circular, like I actually met with him outside of them and he, and he was like, no, no, I auditioned for this movie already. And you, and you didn't know about it? No, I, I had no idea. So it was, it was just this bizarre thing so where- the casting director just kind of keeps that, he just shows you what, what he likes. Well, yeah, cause he's like, all right, you had 700 people 700 shots sent in you know video people in front of their like webcam doing it and so here's the top you know 20 well why didn't they like him did you find out i don't know he, was, he, like he really did a really good job i'm telling you and just just really the character definitely uh went ups and downs throughout the whole process but it also showed you the laziness of people who don't want to go find a job and so there's themes to this. And I'm going to ask that question. Matt, were there themes to this specifically enough that you wanted people to take away 
from this film? Oh yeah, a ton. Uh, you know, if you want to go back to the whole genre thing, my my goal is always, it doesn't matter what the gimmick is or the genre is. If at the core, it's not a good story. For, so for this, I wanted it to be just a good drama piece of relationships and how hard they are. And then you add the horror in and the thriller in. And I, I hope it just makes it more interesting. Um, but the themes for me, it's like, yeah, this, this thing we're taught about masculinity, about providing and what it means to be a man and, and whether it's okay to ask for help, especially around mental health. Uh, that was a huge theme that I wanted to wrestle with. And then, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but things have been weird in America for the last six years or so with uh, some weird politics stuff, some stuff going on. And I've, I've had friends and family that have said things that have made me go, whoa, I don't know them at all. And uh, so this script for me was kind of like a way for me to kind of wrestle through that and try to find a way to love someone who... I don't necessarily agree with the way they perceive reality, but I have to still humanize them. Yes. If that makes that, sense at all. It really did well job. So what's up next for you? Do you have another projects coming up after this? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm in uh, raising funds right now for a feature uh, that is, I think will be fun. Two of them actually, one is a werewolf on the border where some uh, vigilante border patrol people stop a truck of illegal immigrants and they both start getting hunted by a werewolf at night and uh, have to team up to survive. Um, yeah. Werewolves never get old, do they? No, but they're really <laughs> miss. They're not used enough. Everybody loves the sparkly vampires. Uh, so I think it could be a lot of fun. And then uh, I've got another one that is like a straight drama based on a true story uh, about a woman that was held hostage with her kids for five days and uh, managed to keep the kids from knowing that they were even being held hostage. It's oh, wow. uh, a really amazing true story. And uh, I can't wait to see that one get made. All right, Dave. Dave's question is the last question before we can know it now about the film and how we can watch it on VOD. But go ahead, Dave, with your caregiving question. Well, I've been married 47 years. My wife had a stroke halfway through. She lost mm. her speech, became paralyzed on one side. In fact, we're having a, a film made about our life. And I was going to ask you, before this question was uh, how many film festivals did you actually apply to and how many applied back? But you can mention that afterwards. So, you know, I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. And I now have done like 50 TV shows, uh, about 25 uh, stages. I just got back from, um, from London, as I mentioned, uh, if I believe that if you're not a caregiver today, just wait, you're either going to become one, you're going to need one. My question to you is, um, how has caregiving touched your life, if it has, uh, with your parents, oh, grandparents, friends? Great. Ah, that's such a wonderful question. It, is, uh, it has made me go from thinking I was a good person to finding out that I had a lot of work to do on myself. Uh, from being a parent, I have a 14-year-old and 11-year-old daughters. And then my dad moved in with us a few wow. years ago. Uh, and he is now, uh, my third teenager, we say in our house, <laughs> eating the food and complaining about it and, um, not helping around the house too much. Uh, reversal. But is, yeah, but it's been amazing for my daughters to be able to grow up with Papa in the house. Uh, and it's been good because my parents got a divorce when I was younger. And so I'm getting to live with my dad again, but we, it's 35 years later. So it's a totally different dynamic. And, what condition uh, is he in? I mean, does he have dementia or anything? Uh, he is uh, partially disabled, ability, mobility. 
um, broke both of his feet several years ago oh. uh, uh, when I was 15. So a lot of years ago. Um, and it's gotten incrementally worse as he's gotten older. And then just, you know, stre- check everything off at the box when you, you fill out at the doctor's office of all the things and he's got them all. So well, bless uh, you for having it in your heart to do that. Not everybody would. Shows no, it's, your character. I mean, I, you don't have a choice. It's your parents. You got to <laughs> love them. Well, some people wouldn't agree with you, but yes, I agree. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So go to caregiverdave.com to find out more information. So Matt, the question is, how are you going to help Caregiver Dave when he's applying for different film festivals? How does that process work? Yeah. How many, how many did you actually oh, apply to and how many uh, did you hear back from? For this film, um, I think we applied to about 20 and got into uh, just a few. They don't respond really unless you get in. Uh, Well, you might get in a rejection letter after they've already published everybody that got in. Uh, But one of my films in Ordinary Family, we got into over 40 film festivals. Uh, One, the New Orleans Film Festival for Best Feature Film. Um, And uh, that one we applied to probably about 20 got into five or six, but because of the buzz from the first few, more started inviting us to screen. Uh, so that, that's really the way to get in and start getting invited, which is, I don't know how to break that secret sauce. It didn't happen <laughs> with this one. Uh, but I will say the biggest thing, I have friends who are programmers on at certain festivals, like here in Austin at the Austin Film Festival. And everybody will say, apply early. Uh, and only send in your film when it is done and you're proud of it and it's ready to show. So make sure it's ready. You only get one shot to send it across their desk and send it in at the early, early, early bird uh, entry time. Got it. And start at the ones at the beginning of the calendar and kind of work your way through. Okay. All right. Well, awesome. And Matt, where can we check out the film and stuff? Where's the best place? Uh, so we have, uh, screenings on YouTube and things like that, where you can chat with filmmakers, but right now it's also released on Amazon prime. So if you're an Amazon prime member, you can watch it right now. Uh, it's coming, it's on Tubi and a couple other of those ad supported ones like crackle. It is coming out soon on the Roku, uh, platform and, uh, several other ones. If you want to see all the entire list, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter at apartment 413. All right. Well, fantastic. I'm telling you, this, this is, again, a treat, and I'll have to talk to Matt off air, or he has <laughs> to shoot me a message or something about the, en- the, the ending, because the ending will get you going, Dave. I'll definitely send you the screener so you can watch it, okay? And uh, I'm not going to have nightmares, right? No, he's not going to have nightmares. He's going to be perplexed and wonder, make sure that you don't have any burner phones in the house. That's right. for sure. I'll check it out on <laughs> uh, Amazon. It's going it, to drive you nuts, and then there you go. All right, I appreciate you guys. Thanks again. Thanks. All right, guys. All right, guys. That was the Caregiver Dave Celebrity segment. Take care, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to welcome Mike Velarde. Mike, how are you? What's going on? Good. Hey, good, Neil. How are you? Today, we uh, we have a little uh, different show for you. We're going to have a local resident, Ann Margo, talking about 5G and some of the local politics here in Palm Beach County. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So we're going to let you introduce yourself and tell us about what you'd like to talk about, and we'll discuss it on the air. Go ahead. Wonderful. Well, Mike, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to speak to um, your um, listeners, because this is such an important issue that I think is being overlooked. Um, So basically, just to tell you a little about myself, I'm a lifelong resident of Palm Beach County, 
Florida. Um, my family's been here. My kids are fifth generation, actually, here from the county. And <clears throat> a while back, um, when my husband and I were looking for a place to live, you know, we kind of knew on some level that we didn't want to live right next to a cell tower because we had little kids and we knew that, you know, they need to be protected. And then when we um, bought a new house here in the county, we got a letter a couple months after living here stating that Palm Beach County was building a wireless mesh network to cover uh, essentially low-income communities all over the county. So to kind of give you an idea of what that is, it's basically like a, a blanket hotspot over the entire neighborhood. Um, and they, the county's been partnering with the Palm Beach County School Board uh, to roll this project out. It's a multi-million dollar project. And so we kind of knew, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, we're not so sure we want to expose our kids to wireless radiation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we started looking into it. Um, and the reason we only had a basic understanding uh, of wireless radiation in children is because we had some health challenges a few years back. So we wanted to make this, you know, a priority. So I started looking into the issue and I actually met some local residents here in the county who suffer from something called electromagnetic sensitivity or hypersensitivity. There's a couple different names for it. And I know one woman, a senior citizen in our county who every time she's near a cell tower, her gums start to bleed. Um, you know, there's some serious health effects that can affect vulnerable portions of our population. So I started reaching out to the county and asking if, you know, the county had done its due diligence on this project and stated um, that there had been several concerns that had been brought forth in the last couple of decades by scientists and researchers that essentially had been ignored. And I said, but, you know, it appears as though our federal government, the FCC, who is charged with regulating, um, you know, telecommunications, was not really protecting the biological health of people and, you know, the environment, um, because their standards go all the way back to 1996. So they were set 25 years ago, and the science bringing forward is that their standards only accounted for thermal burns, which means, um, you know, we're, we're talking about microwave radiation. So that means if your tissue, your skin is not burning, then it's considered safe. But what, what um, hundreds and hundreds of scientists and, you know, people in um, the health and medical professions are, are coming forward with is research showing that it actually causes biological harm. So there's a number of health effects that can uh, result from wireless radiation, including, I'll just name a few, but, um, you know, headaches, insomnia, um, ADHD, D, uh, DNA damage. Um, there was a major study done um, proving that it causes cancer, actually, uh, and several other uh, problems. So I asked the county, you know, if they would do due diligence on this project, and um, so far, not a lot has happened in terms of the county taking a pause and looking at what some of the health effects are, because so often people say, 
well, we're in all of our equipment is FCC compliant. Well, what happened just recently, which um, you might be interested to learn, is that one of the most respected courts in the country, um, the uh, a U.S. federal court ruled on, on August 13th, this year, 2021, that the FCC was negligent and that it ignored wireless risks. So they now, the FCC, has to explain why it ignored the science that shows that there can be harm from wireless radiation. And um, 11,000 pages of scientific research was entered into the court docket. So this is legitimate. Um, this was a major ruling that may just change the tide in this country in terms of safety. So um, at this rate, this local Wi-Fi mesh network, or at this time, is probably more than half the way installed. So, um, but, but it's still the county's responsibility to do the due diligence and help educate the community you know, teachers, well, and the school board as well, the teachers, the students, and the residents, how to use technology safely. So the message isn't no technology. Um, you know, we can all agree that everyone needs to be connected, but it's how we're connected that is the most important piece of the puzzle. So as I have been working on this issue and learning about it for the last four months, I think I first spoke at a county commission meeting in May, um, I have talked to people all over the country, and I can tell you more about that if you're interested. Um, let engineers. Just, let me cut in and ask you a couple of questions specifically. Sure. Tell us the difference between 4G and 5G. So let me preface also, I should have said, I'm not a technology expert, and I'm not a health expert. Okay. So technology is not my expertise. Um, all I can tell you is that there is a problem here that needs to be addressed, and it's the county's responsibility to do that. But from what I understand, um, you know, all these new generations that the, the well, you know, I, I don't know if I can actually speak accurately to it. Um, the, the, I guess there's now pulsed uh, modulated, you know, signals that, that are now stronger than what the previous generations have been. Um, and the county has marketed this Wi-Fi mesh network, I'll just clarify this for you, as not being 5G. And so I've really kind of avoided the whole 5G discussion because, I'm, because that usually, if anybody starts to speak out about 5G, there's oftentimes attempts to discredit that person. And so what I'm focused on here is the straightforward fact that the county is rolling out a wireless mesh network that will add an additional layer of radiation. It's almost like a, like a sandwich. You've got layers you know, in a sandwich and that's exactly what radiation does. So you've got, you know, you've got to account for the cell towers. You've got to account for all of your devices just inside your home. There are steps that you can take to mitigate your, your uh, microwave radiation exposure. So, when my family learned more about this, we actually took steps in our own home to reduce uh, what our kids or what we were hardwired our computers. Now we still have Wi-Fi. It's not that we are not going to use it, but we only use it when we need it in fashion. 
so previously, you know, we, we knew that, um, that exposing our kids to it 24 seven wouldn't be a good idea. So we had a little clicker. You can buy a little remote control from home Depot and put it in your wireless router and you can turn it off at night while you're asleep because while you sleep, because that's the most important time for yourselves uh, to regenerate and restore. Um, but once we learned that you actually can be harmed by layers of wireless radiation, um, you know, if, say, if you have multiple devices all on in the same room, we're talking about cordless phones, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cell phones, um, you know, you add that all up and it's like the layers of a sandwich. And then, so if you add then, you know, whatever, whatever um, cell towers are around you or other towers that are around you, it adds up. And I could tell um, for your listeners that I can tell you that you can go to a place called antennasearch.com www.antennasearch.com and you can look up all the towers that are around your neighborhood or your home or where you work. So um, my message to the county has been, and there I would also add that there have been several other residents um, that have spoken out about this, about these risks and about the project and about some steps that the county should take to protect residents. Uh, over the last many months, um, you can look up some of those speeches on YouTube. Um, there's an informal group called uh, Palm Beach County Residents for Safe Technology, and you can hear the residents speak about some of the health effects and some of the expectations that we have as residents to protect our kids and our children. Well, let me just let me just add some clarity for our audience. Ward 5G stands for it's the fifth generation of the tech technology. Okay. The, the big issue, one of the big issues with it is it will immediately make 4G technology obsolete, which means everyone's going to need a new phone. Everyone's going to need a 5G phone. So the health risk that you're talking about, where I've known people where they get close to 5G, they get headaches. You, it's, yeah. You're going to have no choice. I mean, it, it, it's the way this is set up. Um, 5G is basically 20 times faster than 4G is what it is, um, which is why they want to move that way. The problem is I don't think they've taken into consideration what, what that extra radiation is going to do to people and how it's going to affect them. Um, but I've also heard that 5G is actually not delivering on the speed that it was supposed to. But again, I'm not, you know, I don't want to get into too many technical details because that's not my Right. I mean, even if it doesn't 20 times faster, it's five times faster or 10 times faster, you're still going to have, it's still going to, um, you know, it's going to be more instant and it's going to allow for more capacity. The problem is, what is that going to do to our health? Exactly. I mean, that, and the, that's and really the issue. And Mike, there, it's another hidden agenda, right? Another hidden agenda that's bad for the health that that they call us conspiracy because of that fact when we know. So what's the difference between having 4G towers versus 5G towers? And, you know. Well, the, I think what I'm focused on and what I can speak most accurately to is that, and, and I actually do understand from licensed engineers who have measured the levels of radiation in our community that we are in some areas orders of magnitude higher than what is considered healthy. So um, and that means that we are, Palm Beach County is already above levels 
where negative or adverse health effects are known to occur. But see, the problem is, is that nobody's talking about this. So this is what I also encouraged our commission and our school board to look at is that we cannot we cannot afford to be so focused on COVID that we're completely overlooking the effects that all this wireless radiation in the schools and now that they want to put in our neighborhood is going to have on not only ourselves, but our, our children, like the next generation. Um, and there are, and, and their, their brains, uh, you know, their skulls are thinner and they, they have a much more ability. In fact, you can see, um, pictures that show how much more radiation children absorb into the brain than adults. So this is really, as we keep adding layer after layer, and I'll tell you, I was speaking with one of the commissioners um, just recently, and I said, you know, this would be like Starbucks putting up uh, a store right next to my house and beaming their Wi-Fi into it. And I don't want that. You know, I don't want my kids exposed to it 24-7. And they said, well, if that's the case, then you can call us because we have, you know, the zoning authority to do something about it. And the thing is, is they are the Starbucks in this case. So this is the county's project. And, and what the remark that I've heard back from several commissioners is that uh, the county is actually preempted from state law uh, regarding the placement of poles you know, of towers. However, um, there is supposedly a legal flaw in this uh, interpretation and the county absolutely can update its ordinances um, to uh, basically oversee and regulate the power of these wireless um, telecommunications facilities. So the county is claiming that they have no power to do due diligence on their own project that they are rolling out and spending our taxpayer dollars on. And that's another point that, you know, here we are the taxpayers paying for this and we deserve to have a choice as to whether we want to expose ourselves and our children to wireless radiation. And I can tell you since, since we hardwired our house, um, you know, again, we still have a Wi-Fi router and we still turn it on if we want to download things or if we need it. But I have seen an improvement in my health. I get fewer headaches and, um, you know, I, I used to have a little neuropathy sometimes and, I've, and that has dissipated. Uh, and I had no idea that, that, that those health um, effects, you know, for me would be positive because, again, we did it for our kids. But yet I saw a positive uh, outcome. So that was also a message to me that, you know, this – this is something that everyone consider, can consider. And to answer your question uh, about, you know, really what can people do about it? You know, are we not going to have a choice to go from 4G to 5G? That was one of the really interesting things I learned um, through meeting people that are working on this issue. Uh, there's a woman who's a, a technology safety educator uh, up in the Northeast, and she actually, for many, many years, worked to bring wireless into the school systems because there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of reason for the schools to do that for funding and things like that. Um, but then a, an engineer friend of hers turned her on to some of the dangers. So she has now worked um, the, you know, entire opposite direction to help educate people about how wired is so much more, so much safer 
Um, it's a better long-term solution and it's faster. So we have, for example, at our house, we have gigabit service and it's not that expensive. And our internet is really fast. And I think we just saw an offer for two gigabit. And so what they're even building, speaking of being obsolete, this wireless mesh network is going to be obsolete by the time they put it up. And it's probably not going to be that fast. So, uh, you know, but back to what your audience can do, um, kind of some takeaway tips is I would, I'll give you some great websites. Uh, well, the, well, first, the Environmental Health Trust and the Children's Health Defense are two of the parties that were involved in the lawsuit against the FCC where, you know, they just had this ruling um, and, and the court declared the FCC to be negligent in this regard. Um, there's some great resources on those two websites. And then um, the woman I was just speaking about, uh, who is a, sa a technology safety educator, there are courses online that you can take to basically mitigate, you know, your own exposures at home. So like I'm speaking to you right now from a landline instead of my cell phone, because then I won't have any radiation. Now, we can't all quit using our cell phones. But you know, I use it more seldom now that I know um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't make phone calls when I'm driving around in the car with the kids, which is actually safer anyway, you know, to not be on your cell phone when you're driving. I used to have the Bluetooth or the hands-free, you know, um, ability to do that. But I thought, why expose my kids to the extra radiation? So I just make phone calls, you know, when I have time and it's probably safer that way anyway, in terms of driving, um, all, you know, around our, our busy highway. So. Um, that's the good news that, and the other good news that I, I can share is that there are other cities and um, counties that are uh, taking steps to protect its residents now that they know that the FCC is not doing it. Um, so for example, this is another um, subject that I brought up with the county is the city of Coconut Creek here in South Florida passed a resolution very proudly to encourage a multi-agency review at the federal level um, about how to, you know, basically look into these health effects and to protect residents. And one of the city attorneys there uh, sits on one of the FCC boards and has been a real advocate for, um, you know, residents. So, and that's, that's really what this comes down to. Uh, is our local government going to be on the side of the residents? and what's safe and what's healthy or are they going to side you know with the with the wireless industry and what they've been told which you know um to their credit you know people have been misled about this for a long long time uh in terms of what's safe and what's not but now that this fcc ruling has just happened um like i said you know the the tide is going to start to change and i will add that um lawyers and I've spoken to one of the top telecom attorneys in the country and also um, an electrical engineer who headed up, oh, I've got to tell you about that, the New Hampshire State Commission actually created the first commission of its kind in the country just recently uh, within this past year, and it was legislated. So this was um, done by legislation to study the effects of 5G and emerging technologies and there is a, uh, a report that they put out, which you can access online. It's the New Hampshire 
um, commission to study the effects of 5G and emerging technologies. And in the first 17 pages of that report, you'll see their recommendations.